the Onyx Podcast. I'm this week's host, Dixie Cochran, here with Eddie Webb. Hello. And Eddie Webb. Hello. Yes, we have unceremoniously <laughs> kicked Matthew out of this podcast. Yes. Um, he tried to join, and we said, no, be gone. I slammed the door in his face. We said, we have our allocation of Brits on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and we don't need you here. It's true. And with that, I will go ahead and introduce our guests since they're already in the room. We have with us Ian A. Watson. Hi, hi. And Christopher Allen. Hello, hello. See, there's our Brit. We have a Brit. We're good. All you need is one, right? Yeah, it's, it's as true. much as we're yeah, rationing in these post-Brexit days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have to pay a much higher tax for a Brit now. Yeah, um, sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> And we are here today to talk about an upcoming book, which is called either Victorian Mage or Mage the Victorian Age, or something along that, depending on who you talk to. So, yes. first question then, Ian, Chris, what's it called? What is the title, please? Uh, I, I, you, I, I'm doubting myself now you've said that. I think it's Victorian Mage, <laughs> but now I'm, now I'm uncertain. We've been calling it Victorian Mage internally for so long, and every now and then somebody will pop up and be like, Mage the Victorian Age. And I'm like, well, that rhymes and it's twee, but okay. Uh, hmm. But I don't I don't actually know what's going to be on the cover. But it is about Mage the Ascension, 20th anniversary edition, in the Victorian era. So no matter what you call it, the title still makes sense. See, I recorded the Kickstarter video uh, like yesterday. Um, okay. I, I was saying Victorian Mage, but as I was putting the video together, I saw all the graphics that... Uh, Mike had put together and said, uh, Mage the Ascension 20th Anniversary Edition, Victorian Age. So, I don't know what it's called. (laughs) I'm I'm just, I'm going to rely on on the art that he put together and just hope that no one listens to this podcast and realizes that what I'm saying doesn't match what's on screen. (laughs) Well, Rich is going to be listening to this. It's a lovely surprise. Rich, quick, look the other way. (laughs) So, if you want to... If you want to come down from on high, Rich, and tell us what this book is called, uh, no one will be upset about you about about it because we we clearly don't know. Um, that said, uh, any mage fans probably know that this book has had kind of a long beleaguered history. It's bounced around between a few devs. It's gone through a couple of different you know draft processes. Um, part of that is just because this book is really complicated compared to a lot of our other source books. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas things like Gods and Monsters, uh, you know, is, is about Gods and Monsters. And we had, you know, um, Tidocracy Reloaded, which is pretty self-explanatory. Like, we've got a lot of these books that are kind of, like, self-explanatory. Like, it is modern day, here's some antagonists, or here's some whatevers. This one is the Victorian era, and unlike some other books we've done, this one spans the entire Victorian era. Um, so I will let uh, Ian and or Chris talk a little bit more about how that process worked as far as getting it to be as all-encompassing as it is. Um, yeah, I think that's it's sort of baked into the structure of the book. Um, obviously, the various sections talk about um, what's going on throughout the age, sometimes in key snapshots, sometimes looking at the broader process of what goes on. So there's a chapter about the, the order of reason, the technocracy, which obviously talks about some of that evolution throughout this era. Um, 
and that so there's that timeline breadth, mm-hmm. but we've also got geographical breadth. Uh, we've got Gazetteer chapter that kind of tries to take a, a very brief look because you can't, you know, in a book this size, even even a book this size, you can't go. There's only so much in depth you can go, but tries to take a look at most of the, the globe. Really, this isn't a book, despite the name, that is just about the smoggy streets of London, um, or indeed of the wider British Isles. It tries to take a view, a broader view of what's going on across the world. Um, and so hopefully the Gazetteer chapter will, will present that in, in a way people are going to find compelling, uh, looking at what mages are up to, uh, in particular, the order of reason across the globe and the local uh, mage crafts and traditions that they are they're mm. running into. That's that's really awesome. So how did, um, how did y'all approach doing it? It's kind of like a globalist book doing it where, you know, how do you span the entire world for a hundred years in one <laughs> RPG source book? Uh, with difficulty, uh, I guess. Um, I mean, Ian can probably speak a bit is more it, about is it the... is it a, a, a twelve volume series? <laughs> no, no. I mean, Ian can probably speak well, a bit more I about mean, how the history of, of the, is... the magic is presented. Yeah, go on. Um, yeah, part of it is because, uh, unlike say, uh, Victorian age vampire, where Every clan is more or less found everywhere in the world. So if you're focusing on just England, it's not a big deal because you're going to find all the clans there. Uh, In our case, we have a lot of traditions from around the world, uh, a lot of different crafts. So we can't really talk about those crafts without talking about where those magical traditions come from. Mm -hmm. So the Ngoma from uh, Africa... Uh, the Taftani from uh, the Middle East, the the, the Daulaushi from um, uh, from China or Japan. Jeez, China, I think. There's quite a lot of a lot of crafts and traditions. Yeah, I uh, yeah, they're Chinese. I always lose track. I apologize, um, but yeah. Um, so like the the different crafts and even the traditions, the the Akashiana, um it's it's hard to talk about different magical traditions especially in the victorian period without talking about where they come from so it was Mm -hmm. important to us to talk about what's going on in the victorian period all around the world this is this is the time when the sun never sets on the british empire uh so there's this this imperialist attitude this uh the colonialism happening all around the world um it, right it's, um so it, it gave us a real opportunity to talk about everything that's going on so chris what because you two are, are, are co-developers how did y'all divide that work like what what did you take on chris as well, your kind of developmental area so we know what questions to ask everybody <laughs> yeah well as you know things were sort of shifting around as as we brought on um uh, with, with the project so uh, i was originally brought on principally to provide sort of if you like uh, developmental backup but also a historical look uh, you know i'm a trained historian um to keep an eye on what was going on and make sure it wasn't going too wildly you know the 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 real history as it were wasn't going too wildly of course um so uh as the project then shifted over, I end up with um, a fair chunk of the general, um, what do I call the, the 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 grunt work of development, where you've got to go through, check all the text, see what needs to, not editorial level stuff, but really looking at whether the ideas are being presented the way you want them to come across. Um, and something my discussions with Ian, as Ian was really providing the 
um, the genius of the mage law knowledge, you know, the guy who can look at everything on there and say, right, this makes sense within Mage the Ascensions mm-hmm. or within Mage the Ascension structure. Um, I was generally focusing on more, I suppose, yeah, the sort of um, the structural logistical work of getting the development moving and the historical uh, viewpoint of it for myself. Right. So that means, I guess, that Ian picked up more of the uh, mage lore. Is that correct, Ian? Yeah. Um, there was, at that time, sort of that development gap where Chris knew what he was doing, but he didn't know mage as well. Whereas my first written credit in the RPG industry was in Guide to the Traditions like 20 years ago. So I, I like to think I know my mage a little bit. Um, <laughs> so I, I came in, I dove into the lore, I put in some like there are some really deep dive tidbits that go back to like some of the earliest mage supplements and have never shown up since um i I made sure to squeeze some of those in there uh it 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 was it's a it's a real treat to to get to explore this era uh ian just because i think most of our listeners know you as like the trinity guy or the bloodlines guy or the shitposting guy (laughs) Uh (laughs) especially the latter ian i mean really Really, yeah. so, <laughs> so what's what's your history with mage? This is usually like a question we ask people their first time on the show, but we've never actually asked you about mage specifically. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, let's let's say go back to around two thousand. Uh, White Wolf had just opened the New Bremen uh, chats online, uh, a moderated chat environment, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, I was almost immediately, like, I was one of the first storytellers uh, recruited for that. And almost immediately, I I was sort of put in the position of the head mage storyteller. So I ran everything to do with mage. Um, That was for about a year uh, I did that. And around that time, uh, Jess Hainig, who was the mage developer at the time, he asked my opinion on a few things. Uh, I didn't do any formal writing, but I ended up with a credit for additional contributions in the Guide to the Traditions. Um, A few years later, I started up the White Wolf Wiki, and one of the first sections I started filling out was the mage stuff, because that's what I knew best. Um, Right after Onyx Path started, uh, we got to doing the last four of the Revised Era uh, convention books Mm -hmm. um and for the final three of them uh ryan macklin the developer on those he brought me on board to check some numbers because some of the uh the the dots on one of like the character sheets for Mm -hmm. the first one we did didn't totally add up right so he just brought me on board to do a double check on the whole thing um and i've just sort of been while i haven't been working on any major mage products since then i've just sort of been little mage tier litter off at the side while i've had my (laughs) my head in trinity and then this opportunity came up like hey we need some guy who knows mage lore and um me 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 hello me (laughs) it it was funny too because that was when uh Matthew and I were, were, were trying to find people for, for the project. And like, I had no idea you had this mage history at the time because I haven't known you as long, you know? So I just knew you as like Trinity, 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 Trinity. Um, and then this, this guy up and you're like, you were like Trinity, Trinity, also mage. 
Yeah. Also, also mage, mage is also a thing. And I was like, oh, well, that's useful. That's, that's, that's good to know. I had no idea. Um, so Chris, what's, what's your kind of personal history with Mage the Ascension? Uh, like, is it a game that you played for a while? Is it kind of a new thing for you for this project? Where, yeah, where are we at? It's, it's, it's new to some extent for me to project, uh, about this project. Um, not sort of completely new, you know, for a long time. One thing I found, you know, in, while I played a little bit of the World Dance Games, um, back in the late, uh, late nineties, I guess. Um, and obviously there was Vampire Bloodlines, the computer game that loads of people love and loads of people brought a lot of people back to the game as well. Um, Mage was one of the ones I hadn't really touched, although I got an awful lot of information about it by osmosis from uh, forum flame wars and uh, online arguments about it. Um, <laughs> it was always one of those ones which was very you know, famous for having a very passionate uh, fan base. Um, and I, you know, I picked up a certain amount of understanding yes. about it and the core concepts and... Um, you know, and everyone's heard about stuff about oh, mages going into Jupiter in spacecraft and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So I'd picked away at it from time to time, um, and then when I was asked to to come on this uh, on this project, I uh, really started to to get much more to grips with it, um, which was an interesting experience, both from um, learning more about it and the ways it doesn't necessarily meet up to some of the way the the, the things I thought about it that maybe you pick up from the pop culture as you know the, from mm-hmm. the assets from the sort of the community commentary like every game the game that lots of people talk about on the forums and the game that's actually in the book can be a bit different um but it's been intriguing um as well to get that sort of first step into it via victorian mage because precisely because um to to veer slightly from it much like the reason i love the dark era's books for the chronicles of darkness Mm -hmm. um i do love these kind of setups where you're taking uh, a modern day horror setup and then basically going back in time with it and trying to see how it fits together with the changes that are necessitated by that and with the links that need to be made um, and how you kind of reconcile a concept like Mage the Ascension, very high concept stuff, uh, with uh, historical events like this has been real, uh, really enjoyable to see and see what the, the writers have been tackling in the process with it as well. Yeah, totally. It's always really interesting, too, because throughout the modern day books, people will drop like little historical tidbits Mm. where it's like, oh, back in 1850, we changed from this to this. And it's like, now you have to put that in the book. You know? Right. I mean, I I have no doubt there is going to be some stuff where people are going to pick the book up and go, but in this source book from... That, you know, 25 years ago, there was this mention of this thing that was once mentioned ever. And while I know Ian sort of tried to get some of that, really get some of that stuff in, I'm sure there's going to be some things people pick out and be like, oh, this didn't get mentioned. Um, and partly that's because, you know, with a project like this and with su- with a, uh, um, a line like Mage the Ascension or any game line, I guess, that has that sweeping expanse of history and published products, at the end of the day, we have to make a single published product with this that makes sense and is coherent inside itself um so Mm. we had to choose a way that this was going to be presented and choose the story i suppose of the era that's going to be presented um so i'm sure there's going to be some stuff from some of those uh, those past mentions that doesn't get in but i think hopefully the book will still be the better for it with the the focus that we have chosen 
Yeah, I mean, not not every book is Beckett's Jihad Diary, you know, no, where like right. Matthew and Neil just put every single reference they could possibly cram in there in. And there were still things that people were like, oh, you left this out. And it's like, we, yeah. it was every book. We went through every vampire book <laughs> and did our best. Um, and with Victorian Mage, I know because this isn't that kind of like, you know, love, love letter to the whole line. It's mm. specifically an M20 support product. So yeah. if your, you know, favorite thing from second edition didn't get in, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like a like note out there to all the fans when the errata sheet happens. Like don't <laughs> don't be upset because something from an earlier edition didn't make it in because it's not about the earlier edition. It's about M20. So mm. I'd rather in a product like this, I'd rather the writers have the freedom to make the best product they can within the framework they're given, say the Victorian yeah. era. And and draw in what they like and love from the rest of the line without feeling so beholden to it that they feel maybe straitjacketed. Or if if there are, you know, in some cases there might be plain up contradictions or, or situations or mentions dropped elsewhere that don't necessarily make a lot of sense once you plant mm. them in the era firmly and, and changes have to be made, made around those. So I think it's better to go into the product trying to make the best product you can for the remit you've got rather than trying to make Beckett's Jihad Diary Mark II, but with Victorian Mage <laughs> instead, yeah, as you say. Mike Mike Cheney would kill us if we uh, <laughs> brought him a mage version of Beckett's Jihad Diary. <laughs> That's a, that's a beautiful book, but keep in mind that it, you know the more intensive our layouts are, the more Mike has to work. <laughs> so this this book does span the nearly hundred year period that is Victorian era. How did you go about doing that? I mean, that's 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 something that you know history books have published several volume sets on. Um, you you could write an entire book about like the diamond jubilee for instance so how chris did you like decide kind of what bits of history to put in and what bits of history to kind of skim over yeah so um obviously so setting aside for a moment the mage history in the book um you know it's covered in some of the chapters like the order reason chapter the traditions chapter looking at the rest of what needs to go in there like you say about the the jubilee about uh, crystal palace about the world exhibition um and, and the wider events in the world um to some extent you know, for by the form of the structure and the work out assigned all that, you know, how, how we did it was we broke it down um, regionally. Uh, and then within those regions, writers calling forth sections of what was going on, calling forth uh, facets of what was going on to focus on. Um, you know, at the end mm -hmm. of the day, even with the chunky section we've given over to the World Gazetteer, we can't cover everything in the world that happens. As you say, we would be writing a whole series of thick textbooks. Um, so instead, to some extent, it's, it's up to the individual writers for their sections as to what they felt was evocative, what they had good ideas for calling out that would be um, meaningful from a mage perspective, because some stuff in the area is just so important and weighty. You know, the 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 scramble for Africa, the the rush of imperialism across the world, it needs to be addressed. But once you start drilling down into local areas, into onto the specific continents, um, mm. you can't you can't do everything. So it's it's a some extent it's a judgment call on the part of the writers for what grabs them and what it, for them makes them go right. This is material that we can use in mage. Because at the end of the day, this isn't a history book. It's a mage, the Ascension book. Um, so mm -hmm. the history that is in it needs to be usable for mage, so the Ascension games. It needs to be usable for storytellers. So um, right. there is a bit of variation across the board in terms of how that material is covered because of the the different writers' attitudes and, and, and preferences around the sections they're covering. Um, but it's, it's, it's therefore... Um, it's as brief as we can get away with it in these overall sketches of these areas, while still giving you a good idea of what's going on 
you know, on a given continent in a, in a good in a given region across the era. Uh, in some cases, we drill down a bit more in terms of what happens as the era progresses. Um, in others, it's less less relevant to do so because changes in an era can in an area can can make that progress less relevant. Um, mm-hmm. Or there's something really important that happens at a key period um, that needs to be called out. Um, and especially with some of the less pleasant stuff that happens during this era, let's make the bones about it. You know, this is the era of imperialism. This is a very yeah. dark era in humans cha- in hum- humanity's history, uh, and we needed in these 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 write ups to get both the sense that the people who live in these places who who are on the other end of imperialism, their stories matter, and these events need to be addressed as well. Um, and sometimes that, therefore, is what gets the focus rather than attempt to do like a full timeline for every area that covers a bunch of stuff that maybe won't be so relevant to a lot of games. Totally. Yeah. I know that our, our team on this was fairly di- diverse, which is good for this sort of team, um, especially because, you know, we all know what the optics are of having a Victorian book headed by a, a white British guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we like definitely tried to diversify as far as the writing team went. And I know that when we're doing the in- initial outlines, we were very like, please look into like the area of the world we're going to be covering. Like we yeah. really want to give a, a, a perspective for a lot of different people, not, not just, you know, Europeans at this time. Yes. And I think that's really important that addressing the fact that, yeah, that the people across the globe who, who, who are sort of experiencing the, the, uh, the nightmare of imperialism their stories matter um mm-hmm. they are not just you know again we're talking about imperialism we're talking about some dark chapters in human history we want to look at the 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 stuff that happens among the people who are having to survive and endure this uh, and that's both in terms of people in areas of the world who um were invaded or colonized or otherwise suffered oppression at the hands of the british empire and other major empires but also people like um uh the populations even in in europe and in britain um who were shall we say less well off um and not doing so well in with the the fruits of of, of empire um mm-hmm. and and really trying to tell not so tell their story but make sure that the book doesn't just go oh isn't it wonderful to be a wizard in a waistcoat with a monocle you know um, <laughs> this is a time of conflict it is a time of often brutal and bloody conflict it is people playing games with people's lives and, and entire, entire regions and countries um for the sake of ideas and ideals that are anchored in some you know some beliefs that we would now consider pretty horrendous so we don't shy away from that um mm. Uh, it's it's simply a part of the era, and Mage kind of has to address that. Totally, totally. I mean, as much fun as it does sound to be a wizard in a waistcoat with a monocle. Um, although when I say that, all I can think of is Bustopher Jones from Cats. So that's a whole different experience. Um- <laughs> I hear he's not skin and bones. In fact, he's remarkably fat. It's true. It's true. Uh, yeah. So now we're now we're doing Cats lyrics. Um, either way. Yes, as cool as it does sound, it is really important to have, you know, the kind of perspective from all over. You're, you're absolutely correct. Because um, we, we we can't just sit here and have this, you know, weird imperialist game. It, it kind of reminds me of, of how we do Scion, actually. Where, like, we try to get a really diverse team. We try to make sure we have people from different backgrounds. But occasionally we have to tweak something because it won't work for a game. And at the end of the day, it does need to be a playable game. So either way, monocles and corsets and Bustopher Jones aside, uh, is there anything that was really important for you to include in this book? Like 
you, you definitely wanted to make sure it didn't get left out, whether it's a mage thing that happened in that era, because I know that some very large mage uh, plot things happen in the Victorian era, or just something globally. Ian? One of the key things that happens in this period is uh, in 1851, there's the Victorian Reformation of the Order of Reason, where it becomes the technocratic union. Um, and that transition is sort of a major part of the, the plot of Victorian mage. So obviously it's important for us to, to have that in there. And towards the close of the era uh, in 1897 is the Albertan Reformation, where mm -hmm. the sort of transitional period of the technocratic union becomes more what we recognize as the modern technocracy. Right. So we, we wanted to cover a lot of that. Um, mostly the coverage that the, the order of reason gets in the book is that middle period um, where it's, it, it's transitioning between the old order of reason to the modern technocracy. Um, let's see anything else that uh, like there, there's a lot of like little references to, to things here and there. Um, mm -hmm. Like in 1892, uh, Kepler and Captain Savage set foot on the moon. Um, like you that's do. in here. Yeah. Uh, Tychoides discovers Autochthonia in 1893 on the opposite side of Earth's orbit. Just lots, lots of, there's a lot of stuff happening in the Victorian period. And we, <laughs> we tried to get at least mentions of everything that we could in here. The, the only thing I can really think of offhand that we didn't at least include a mention of is um, uh, Victoria Station, which is like an umbral space station that the Sons of Ether have. It was mm -hmm. originally a train station from London, and it was like literally ripped out and pulled into the Umbra. I don't think we mentioned that at all, but that's such a minor thing compared to everything else that we have going on. Well, we've mentioned it here now, so if you want to include that in your game, there you go. It's canon. There you are. Because everything we say on the podcast is canon. Absolutely. Wow. Wow. <laughs> I've said some some bad stuff on this podcast. <laughs> canon. Sorry. Oh, damn it. For you Trinity fans, the Pharaoh's Lightkeepers were founded by mimes. <laughs> no! <laughs> Is there anything historically or geographically that you thought it was super important to include or that even that someone surprised you with as far as one of the authors goes? Mimes. It's the mimes, clearly. Is it mimes? Mimes all the way down? The um, <laughs> interesting elements. There's a lot of stuff in history you know, we didn't want to shy away from, as I've said, the imperialism. We didn't want to try and paint this as something other than what it is. And that's important. But we also want to talk about what people are up to in these areas. So they're not simply relegated to as footnotes to uh, mm -hmm. a very... Um, not just Eurocentric, but obviously Victorian stuff is often generally very Anglo-centric. Um, and there's a, lot, right. uh, there's a lot of stuff in there, even um, just looking at the other imperialistic forces and imperialist forces at work uh, in some areas where, for instance, the British Empire didn't reach as effectively um, and the, how people in areas try to deal with that, uh, how they try and survive and resist, but also how once the imperial powers have, have sort of taken over areas, there's a lot of stuff going south. The South American section had some interesting elements uh, in mm -hmm. there, I think, with um, particular things like Brazil and Argentina and, and some of the, the history there that I, I was less au fait with, less knowledgeable about because it's never really been my area of study. Um, uh, so there's, there's, there's a lot of stuff in that, that excite, that, that surprised me. Um, 
where writers have you know gone and done some research, found some interesting ideas that uh, you know I'm just not aware of. Partly because it, it's hard for any one person to do the research to encompass this whole thing. Um, totally. Uh, yeah. So, what, what is there anything that was sort of really? Um, there was some interesting. Uh, one of the writers who did some work on the European um, section of the Gazetteer had some interesting stuff coming out of um, the warfare aspects of the time of wars fought in Europe and some of the technological advancements that were occurring then and when they were occurring and and some of the things that they maybe didn't work out so well, like you know, uh, first attempts to use balloons to drop bombs and the like. Um, and obviously, we frame that in the in the in the context of the technocracy and the traditions and their own struggles. But there's a lot of this stuff in there that's just play. It's just interesting in its own right, you know, about the social, cultural changes and military changes going on across the area, the ways that technology was beginning to be used more, um, and it's for early applications and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's hard for me to pick any one thing out because there's just so much. Yeah, no, I've been reading over the uh, world section recently, and it's 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 a lot. It's a lot of information, but it's nice though because if you pick the area where you'd like to set your your game, then you can just kind of read that section if you want to. Yeah. Like yeah. you don't have to read the whole section. But yeah. if you need to know what's going on in like say South America, then that that is there, which is nice. Yeah. And also I will call out one but I quite liked I, I liked um Hiromi's work on the section rating focusing on, on Asia, um, for giving a really good overview and quite in depth overview. Um of of a region, including and you know a number of the the countries uh, uh and regions within asia that maybe get over tend to get overlooked uh in a lot of material mm-hmm. um there's some really good stuff there i'm really glad that that's for for a period of time i was the developer on this until i realized it was a project that was a little bit outside of my scope um but that that was one thing i was super passionate about when we were working on the outline was making sure that like every single country around the globe got you know, at least a nod, <laughs> um, because there was so much going on then that wasn't like, like, like you said, about a third of the world at the time was under British rule. I think. It, but, I, I don't um, know the exact portion, but it was quite a substantial amount. Yeah. Yeah, like there was there was a lot of the world under you know some form of of, of British rule, but there were also a lot of other countries doing their own thing, or yeah. actively fighting back against you know being colonized. So it's uh it's it's, it's good to tell all of those stories as much as you can. Yeah, and and for me, um, I have a bit of a, a thing. I, I was uh, a little known fact about me. I was, I was born in Thailand, so I tend to look out for whether games mention Thailand in their sections about mm-hmm. like Southeast Asia, especially. Just as a, a small person, you know, sort of personal thing. Um, so I tend to look out for that. You know, and that's something you know, Hiromi tackled, and, and there's some there's some content in there relating to um, the Thai kingdom of the year and how things change there throughout the throughout the period. Um, so that always that always tickles me whenever I see something in that content when people when the writer's gone out of their way to do the research and do some writing about about my country of birth. Um, I, I always appreciate that. Right. Yeah. No. I mean, I get the same feeling when I see stuff that's set in you know certain parts of the south, even though it's not quite the same because <laughs> yeah. it's on a whole different country. But mm. I get excited when something's set in like Atlanta. And yeah, I'm like, yeah. hey, I yeah. know that place. You know. Uh, very very cool so let's talk a little bit uh ian about the structure of the book overall and kind of like what 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 sort of mage things do we expect to see in the book as far as you know uh powers traditions anything new and exciting uh well like i mentioned previously this is like a, a large part of the point of this is the 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 reformation of the 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 uh, order of reason and that feeds into a lot of the uh, colonialist 
themes of the book. And that's not to say that uh, the technocratic union are bad and the traditions are good necessarily because the order of reason is sorry the the order of hermes is also benefiting from this uh as is the core celestial so uh mm-hmm. it, it's not as clear cut as some would have it be so there's there's a lot of uh infighting within the traditions um as the the technocratic union is sort of coming to the forefront and uh, sort of taking over their their place in the uh, in the minds of the sleepers. Uh, so the traditions are on the back foot. The the crafts are on the back foot. Uh, it's it's a great era because there's a lot of like it's it's almost like the last gasp of mm-hmm. uh, mysticism in in the collective consciousness. Um, but there's also like the rise of um, industrialization with with like steamworks and the the spread of uh, rail uh, like the railway network going everywhere. It's mm-hmm. it's really fun in sort of similar ways that uh, the Renaissance setting uh, Sorcerer's Crusade was, right. where it was this confluence of magic, science, and and faith. So it's sort of the same thing reflecting, but uh, a more modern period. I'm sorry, did that answer your question? <laughs> it, it it answered part of it. Uh, okay. Are there any, like, powers, merits, uh, you know, various actual, uh, like, active things your character can do that are new in this? I mean, Mage has always been about doing anything. Right. Uh, so no new powers necessarily because it's just, it's the spheres, right? Everyone knows the nine mm-hmm. spheres. Uh, you're still capable of doing anything um i think we have paradox working a little bit differently because in every single like uh, i i realized earlier i think this is the first world of darkness game to have four distinct time periods there's dark ages mage uh the renaissance period in sorcerer's crusade victorian mage and then the modern era anyway uh so paradox works slightly differently in every mm-hmm. single period uh as it evolves from the the scourge of uh, the Dark Ages into modern paradox, um, so that's that's really the big difference in uh, how mages work between now and the modern period is paradox. I think. Yeah, I, I think the the thing that I don't know how this compares to the earlier iterations of the line, but the, the I suppose the other thing is that since there's no consensus, um, everything magic works on on territories. Um, where the the beliefs and effects that hold sway will vary quite a lot. Um, so the, the technocracy haven't yet established their consensus. Um, what counts as, and we've got different terms for some of the effects and some different rules around them with elegant magic, uncanny magic, and catastrophic magic. Uh, and obviously what counts mm-hmm. as what, where, is very, very malleable. And this is obviously a big part of the, the struggle, the conflict that's going on with the order of reason at the moment and why it's so, so important is that they are essentially in the process of trying to expand their consensus across the globe. Um, But it does mean that mages traveling the world will find local conditions far more changeable um, and far, far less, uh, you know, if you're a mage from London, you've grown up in the, uh, the mean streets uh, of the East end and you go off to, um, you go off to India, you go off to Africa, you go off to wherever um, you may well find that the local, uh, ter- the magical territory does not think the things that you think are elegant or uncanny 
are right. Elegant or Uncanny. Um, you know, there are places where some effects, um, in general, obviously, some effects are always going to be highly risking of paradox or the straits, as it's called in the era. But there's a lot of stuff that's much more um, uh, variable or that means that um, local beliefs and local practices ha- can have an edge against, say, the technocracies of the Order of Reason's own advance uh, until the Order of Reason is able to push, sort of tilt things the other way in their favour. Um, so, yeah, we, you know, there's, there's situations like, you know, obviously firearms in the Wild West seem like they should be perfectly normal. They are, uh, there's a certain point where firearms become predominant in, in you know, public awareness and in pop culture about it. But very early on, if you have Order of Reason luminaries in out there before the Colt guns and all that, and the Gatling guns are already in it, and one of them turns up with a some rapid-firing weapon, that's not necessarily going to be mm-hmm. as smooth sailing as they hope it's going to be. True. I can see that. So we are going to be putting this on Indiegogo, uh, just for all the yes. listeners out there who are used to us doing Kickstarters. Um, this is kind of an experiment. We don't really know what we're going to do in the future. I've had a lot of people asking on the blog and stuff like, oh, are you moving to Indiegogo? Like, no, we're we're going to do it this time and we're going to see how it works. Because, you know, why not? Why not try other platforms? Um, So that's something that we're hoping, because there's so many Mage fans out there, it'll be a smooth transition. And um, uh, actually, are some interesting changes that... um... If, if you don't mind me taking a moment to kind of talk through how You're it's going to differ. You're one of the hosts of the podcast. Please talk. Well, sure. No. I want to... <clears throat> Fine. <laughs> Kick me out, too. Oot. No more Eddie. It's just the Chris and Ian show. Get out. Wait, wait. What about yeah, we're me? We're taking over. Bye. <laughs> it's a complete takeover of the podcast. Welcome to the Chris and Ian show. Episode this is a Victorian one. mage cast now. Yes. <laughs> Welcome to the Victorian podcast. Uh, no, um, uh, so for folks who are familiar with Kickstarter and aren't familiar with Indiegogo, there are going to be some some changes you'd be aware of. Uh, the first is that unlike Kickstarter, Indiegogo does charge at the moment you pledge. Uh, so unlike Kickstarter where it's like, well, I'll pledge now, then I'll have the money in my account in a week or so. You better have it right then because it's going to check it right then. If the project doesn't fund for some reason, uh, it will refund your money to you. So you're not going to just keep the money even if it doesn't fund uh but it does charge up front as opposed to at the back end so that is one thing mm, to mm-hmm. be aware of another is that um uh what uh, they call perks there's only going to be three of them uh which are supporting um mage a pdf and then the, the, the physical book uh but then there's going to be a whole bunch of add-ons after you choose your perk and that's where you can get the uh you know stuff like name in the book or whatever. Um, and also retailers will have a separate option available to them they can contact James about. Uh, so, and then finally, uh, unlike uh, Kickstarter where we have backer-only updates with the previews, um, we're going to be emailing all the backers of the project uh, every Wednesday with mm-hmm. the current status of the manuscript that we're sharing. So all the things that you expect to see in a Kickstarter are ultimately going to be there. It's just, it may come in a slightly different format. You may have to look at a slightly different place. Uh, we understand it's going to be a little new for folks, but, you know, feel free to um, jump in. There's still a comments section. So James will be your Indiegogo concierge this time around uh, to help you out with questions or the like. Um, but if you go, when the page goes live, um, you'll be able to see all the, 
pictures that we've our art we've already gotten for it and uh beautiful little kind of interstitial art pieces that uh, are lovely meredith and uh, mike both make to kind of put in those so it's going to be familiar it's not going to be completely alien but it's going to be completely alien we're going to write it all in klingon yes yes that's true (laughs) i forgot that part is all in klingon you have to speak klingon to play victorian mage specifically the 19th century version of klingon everything we say is canon so yes (laughs) (laughs) after we talked about mimes earlier all, all i can think of since then is mime the silencing and uh how that's a book we should make that's 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 not a good title I think you mean, that's the best title. <laughs> Either way, like I was saying, so we're going to be on Indiegogo this time around, uh, see how it works. I'm super excited for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited to see all the artwork for it because uh, anyone who listens to the podcast knows that I'm into, you know, Regency of Victorian period drama type stuff. So super excited to see this one because I'm like, ah, it's going to be all bustles and corsets and exciting clothes. <laughs> Mage the bustles. Mage, the bustling. Right. That's what it's called, right? Right. Yeah, that's clearly the title. Not everything we see on this podcast is canon. <laughs> I don't think Rich is going to be happy with that. This this new <laughs> development that he literally everything we say on the podcast is canon. Well, uh, if you bring him on the podcast, then I suppose that he can undo our canon by introducing new canon. Is, is canon additive or subtractive? That's you could uh, <laughs> you could just say that Rich is very happy that everything you say on the podcast is canon, and because everything you say oh, on the podcast is canon, it's now canon that Rich is happy about it. There we yeah, go. Yeah, there see? we go. Solves perfect, problem. Perfect. Also, I think that everything that we say is canon. Rich still has some kind of like retcon power. Oh, okay. You know, I just feel like. It's 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 the least we can do for him since he is you know the boss. As the creative director, I suppose we give him some chance to direct our creativity. I'm going to call it Rich Conning. Rich Conning. <laughs> that sounds like a convention. It's just about rich. <laughs> that could uh, happen it's... too. <laughs> it's actually a convention about Richie Rich. Ooh, there we go. It's a I'm very sorry, very we're talking niche about Richie Rich now. I've, yes. I've... I zoned out for the last 10 minutes because there's a void engineer named Xerxes Jones and I've been trying to figure out how Bustopher Jones works with that. <laughs> oh my God, that's exactly like my brain. I, I as, as, as listeners know, I have ADHD and sometimes I'm like, even when we're recording sometimes, I'll start like thinking about some tangent. Like obviously I was thinking about mime the asylum scene for way too long. Right. Um, and and it, then I have to like come back to reality and be like, what are we talking about? <laughs> I had forgotten what we're talking about. Um, but yeah, so getting a little near time. So I'm going to ask a couple of last questions. Um, Ian, if there is anything you want people to know about Victorian Mage or the process or just something that you're really excited about, what would be your, your main thing that you want to, you know, talk at somebody about at a convention for 10 minutes? Oh, geez. Uh, there's so many little references that I snuck in there and, and I don't want to spoil any of it, but I'm, I'm eager for mage fans to discover them. And, and I'm looking forward to uh, some of the discussion that props up. Um, okay. I'll, I'll spoil one of them. Um, Yay. Spoilers. There's, uh, there's a brief point where uh, in mage development, like when, when the, the game line was first being conceived, I think the, uh, the sons of ether were at one point going to be called the pupils of Parmenides. And there is a reference in the original um, 
Sons of Ether tradition book to the pupils of Parmenides uh, as like sort of like one of their earlier transitional forms. And that mm-hmm. has never been brought up again. But I put uh-huh. a reference in here. Nice. So that's a little callback to, to people who, who have been playing Mage for a long time. And I put a few, lots of like little different things. Like there's something about Midnight Circus in there too. Um, it's it's fun. It's it, it's it, yeah. It's just a bundle of fun, and I really hope people enjoy this project. I like describing a book of ours as a bundle of fun. That's like the opposite of most of our books. Most of our books are like here's a bundle of paid horrific pain that you can well, put your players through. It's still the world of darkness, but the development process was fun and. Uh, and this is sort of, um, like everyone loves the Victorian period for a lot of different reasons. And this just digs into a lot of that and explores it in a way that I don't think has been before, even within Mage. So it's, it's fun in that respect. It is after all a game, right? What? What? We don't make games. Shocking. We make treatises. Yes. (laughs) That's canon. It's canon now. Find it at your local reference library. <laughs> All right, Chris, same question. What uh, What is in the book that you are super excited about people getting to read? You can give us Oof. a little spoiler. It's fine. I like spoilers. Yeah, so for me, I think it's, uh, you know, I this is one of the first projects I've done development work on for uh, Onyx Path and... Um, obviously, I came on it. You know, it came on it during the process. Um, so, for me, to some extent, it's to some extent the book is 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 other people's child in terms of the conceiving of it and the 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 mage elements of it. Um, so, I suppose what what I'm what I'm keen, what I'm sort of hope, what I'm hoping, is that in terms of the take on the Victorian era that the book presents, I'm hoping people will find it um, sensitive. In terms of its treatment of the topics at hand, because uh, mm-hmm. well, Ian's bundle of fun. I am at the other end of the the horrible stuff. You know, uh, there's there's some there's some there's some pretty dark stuff in that. I hope it's also, um, I'm I'm really hoping people find it um, gameable. I'm hoping people find it useful, both informative but also for their games. That it doesn't come across as being too much uh, textbook like, you know, dry history. That it's something that feels appropriately right. interconnected with the context of Mage: The Ascension. Um, so I'm excited to see how people take it and sort of apply it, apply it to their their games. Um, I don't think there's anything really spoilery that I can think of that is, oh, you know, I want to see people hit this tidbit uh, or the like. Um, there are some, there's, there's some, there's some stuff I really enjoy going through. There's some, um, some of the, the alternate, the sort of suggested ways to play that are a different take on a, a chronicle, like a themed to the era, like an epistolary chronicle, you know, letter writing chronicle and the like. Um, which I, I'm interested to see what people think of those different takes and 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 if they if they want to run with any of that if that inspires people to maybe do a slightly different style of game, um, mm-hmm. then that's that's quite interesting to me. I think that it'd be really cool to do kind of a combination like traditional game and epistolary game. I can never say that word properly on the first try. Yeah, um, epistolary. Meh. Uh, but like, what if you had two different groups who were playing Victorian Mage separately, but then they were like talking about their their exploits and stuff via letters and kind of letting yeah, them like yeah. affect each other? That that, that oh, would be nice. super cool, I think. Yeah, I just like writing letters. I feel like no one writes letters anymore. It makes me sad. <laughs> Particularly letter writing games. I mean, like, um, there are some actually some games out there that are are primarily fa- 
faceted around that style of game mm -hmm. plan. It's just something that you would think in our current environment might be more attractive to people. Well, yes, it turns out to be quite timely in that respect, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really does. I've, I've got to say, I've been reading through the, like, quote-unquote history chapter of this book, like, world chapter, and I'm not finding, like, there's so much mage in that chapter still. So if anybody mm -hmm. is out there listening and they think that it's just going to be, like, a history of the world as it was, no. Like, every single paragraph has story hooks in it. It is very much that, like, Matthew Dawkins school of, like, make sure this happens, you know? Right, yep. Oh, yeah, um, this, this book is overflowing with mage. Like, it it is yes. so crammed full of, like, this, this is not a... It's less a Victorian book and more a mage book, if that makes sense. So you're saying it's just mage with monocle and a top hat? And <laughs> no. <laughs> and we're back to Busted for Jones. Yep. <laughs> uh, I am going to wrap this up. It's going to be a little bit short, folks. Um, and the only reason is because we've been having a little bit of connectivity issues. Um, yeah, we'll... I apologize for that. I'm not sure what is uh, what is going on with my internet today, but it's not playing it's a... uh, playing uh, fair. It's Brexit. It's Brexit, <laughs> right. Yep. <laughs> It's the tariffs on my internet connection. I just want the listeners to understand why they're not getting their, their full hours there that we usually do. Um, and, it, and Unless we go on a tangent for the next 10 minutes. Who knows? <laughs> this, this podcast is not under anybody's control. I'd be happy to talk about the, uh, the uh, adventure, audio adventure that we're doing. Sure. Sure. We can, uh, <laughs> Ian, do you have anything you want to promote and also where can people find you and follow you? There you go. The... Well, I mean, everyone should listen Wednesdays to the Trinity Continuum Adventure uh, audio drama that we're doing, uh, Tales from the Aeon Society. And if they'd like to find me online, they can do so on Twitter at Von Aether. V-O-N-A-E-T-H-E-R. I think Very you were going to talk at length, and then you didn't. Well, you said, tell us where we can find you, so I did. <laughs> I said, do you have anything to promote, and So we've gone horribly do wrong. I would like to promote our upcoming Indiegogo for Victorian Mage. <laughs> trying to give you an outlet to ramble about the adventure thing, but whatever. Okay, fine. Chris, do you have anything yeah. from this? This podcast is going to get really antagonistic for the last two months. <laughs> <laughs> do you have anything to promote and where can people find your Yeah, um, uh, sort of promote. Obviously, um, I'm really happy that Mage, uh, it's not Mage, the Mummy, Mummy the Curse Second Ed has just gone out to backers, and I don't know how long it'll be before that then goes uh, to public release, but I'm really happy that's finally gone out. I'm really proud of some of the work we've done with that in the post yeah. Kickstarter development. I think um, the initial mm -hmm. response seems to be really good to that. Pretty happy with that. Um, I'm looking forward a lot to the forthcoming um, some of the Eon Trinity books that are in the pipeline that I helped contribute to, uh, write on, um, because it's always a delight to see those books come out, uh, especially with the lovely artwork, etc. Um, I haven't got much else to promote at the moment, apart from an upcoming Indiegogo crowdfunder for Victorian Mage. Um, but apart from that, I have nothing sort of immediate on my part. Um, you can find me on Twitter uh, at, uh, at Acrozatarim and uh, on various of the Onyx Path and, and various lines, uh, Discords as well. Um, yeah, uh, that's pretty much it. I would like to point out that Chris is our newly minted Aberrant uh, line developer. Damn it, I was holding on to that one. <laughs> ha! Yeah, this is true. <laughs> I, I didn't sort of, I wasn't going to sort of promote that just yet because I was, um, all the work on Aberrant thus far has obviously been other people's hard work rather than my own. Um, but I believe, uh, I'm not sure when, when is Aberrant. Credit. 
When is Aberrant going up? For, is it going to be out for sale soon? I hope. I'm not sure of the timeline there, but that's on its way soon. I hope. Yeah, it, it's it, it's at the printer now. I was going to say, oh, I, think, I think that it's a patented Onyx Path soon, TM. Uh, yes. Right, yep, yep. That's, that's, but uh, you know, I, I had noticed actually about, I, was, I noticed about 20 minutes ago, that I was like, oh shit, the entire Aberrant creative team is on this all on here as yes. well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And that's been a, a, a real delight to um, to step into that role. Uh, I'm looking forward to working on various Aberrant products in the future. Um uh, I would promote any of them that were at this moment just coming out, but as it is, we're in the yes, in, in the fabled soon TM for stage currently. All right, Eddie, what about you? Anything to promote? Follow you, find um, you. Yes, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I have some experience with with rambling and digressing, so I'll go ahead and take this on. Um, uh, Ian mentioned briefly the adventure radio drama, which, by the way, if you're not listening to this one, I'm not sure how you're doing that because it's part of this feed. But two, it's really, really great, and you should listen to it. Um, it is leading up to our uh, Trinity Adventure Kickstarter, um, and that is very clear. I mean, it's not Kickstarter as a generic crowdsource thing. It's, it's going to be on Kickstarter. So that's we'll hopefully help people understand where our strategy is a little more here. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, definitely keep listening to that. Um, at the end, uh, we'll do a compilation episode. So you can have all six episodes in one nice media file if that's how you prefer to listen to things. Um and uh, definitely huge thanks to uh, Broken Bard Studios for putting that together for us. It's been yeah. a lot of fun to listen to that and really, really entertaining. And I enjoyed writing the scripts for that, actually. Um, that was something that I didn't expect to do, but I got to do it. And it was a ton of fun to just go wild and, and, and play in that space in a way that I don't normally get to do. Uh, but aside go wild. from. Go wild. Go wild. Um, aside from that, uh, you can find me at pugsteady.com, and from there you can get access to all of my social media accounts. Except your secret ones. Well, the, the, those are secret. Those are for mine. <laughs> no, follow Eddie. He's fun. He talks about dogs a lot. I do. And his new dog, Darby. Darby's the best. Darby's great. Darby's just a sweetheart. She's always upside down, but she is the best. Lydia is always upside down, too. We just have <laughs> upside down animals. They should they should have a, a you know an organization of upstate animals. Yeah, I, th- I think Lydia would be terrified of Darby. I'm not sure she's ever even seen a dog. So, uh, either way, Ooh. I've been your host Dixie Cochran. You can find me at Dixie Cyanide on pretty much all social media. Uh, everybody has already plugged all the things I was going to plug, and so as always, many worlds, one podcast. Next time on the Onyx Pathcast...